Greetings to you in Christ. Brothers and sisters, it's a delight to share this day with you in the Word. Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. We're so grateful for you. Thank you for giving your life to serve your families, your children, and bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. May the Lord continue to strengthen you and bless you. Would you turn with me this morning in your Bibles back to 2 Timothy chapter 4? <clears throat> Would you please stand with me one more time as we read our text this morning together? Again, like last week, we will start in verse 1 and read all the way through to verse 8. And then we'll focus really this morning completely on verse 8. Please join me in unison as we read our text. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to this final verse in this section of Your precious Word. Thank You for inspiring Your Word, breathing out these very words, and giving to us the glory of Christ, the glory of the Gospel, Your truth. Heavenly Father, we confess to You as we read this that we think far too little about the appearing of Jesus Christ, Your Son. Father, we, we have a longing to love the appearing. We don't love the appearing of Christ as we ought. We don't long for the appearing of Christ as we ought. It doesn't take up as it ought to the, such a central place in our affections and our thinking and our motivation for all that we do in our lives. So, Father, I'm asking that You, by Your Spirit, would work in us, work in me, that I may have understanding, that I may grow in my knowledge of the appearing of Christ, and that the Holy Spirit would be at work in me to love the appearing of Christ and to be filled with a sense of eager anticipation and great longing so that I can more easily let go of my own sin, and the things of this world, and set my affection on, on You. Father, I pray this for my brothers and sisters as well, that You would teach us about the second coming, about the appearing of Christ, that we may long for it more, and it may affect everything that we do. Father, take us on a journey. This is an area of the Gospel that is most neglected. This is an area of the Gospel in which we need great instruction and understanding and, and teaching and application. Begin this in us, in this local body, that we would be a local body that stirs one another to love and good works and meets together all the more often as we see the day of the appearing of Christ all the more closely coming. Father, we ask You to do this in us for Your glory. Begin this morning, we pray. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. 
So this morning we have the joy of returning back to this text, 2 Timothy 4, 1-8, and come to the really the final part of our discussion, our, our study on faithful preaching began several weeks ago. Last week we began looking at verses 6-8 through and we were discovering the additional motivations that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy to preach the Word. Many motivations he has given him throughout these eight verses. And we have one final motivation to look at this morning, and it's what we have called the future motivation. We'll do a little bit of review when we come to that, but what is the future motivation that that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy to preach the Word? And you can see that in your notes as well. The appearing of Christ is the future motivation. The glorious reward that He brings with Him. I was thinking this morning that all of the aspects of the Gospel have already happened historically or our happening right now. And this is the one aspect of the Gospel that has yet to come. Has yet to happen. Christ lived. Christ died. Christ rose. Christ has ascended. He is seated, reigning as King over His church. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is interceding for you. But the final part of the Gospel is Christ returns. And He's bringing His reward with Him. And He's going to set up in a physical display of glory His kingdom like we have never seen before. Let me ask you a question about that. How often does the appearing of Christ fill your heart with love and longing and then motivate you and strengthen you to live and serve for the glory of Christ. I can ask this question so many different ways. When you are, when you are seeking to serve someone else in the body of Christ with a heart of love, with the right motive, the, the right direction of glory, Christward, how often does the second coming, the appearing of Christ, inform your heart in that service? How often does the appearing of Christ Fill your heart with a sense of hope and patient endurance as you feel the weight of affliction and suffering, whether from illness or Christian persecution in some way. Does the appearing of Christ fill you with a sense of hope and strength in that moment? One of the most well-known prayers of the Scripture we call what? The Lord's Prayer. And what's the third line in that prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, then what? Your kingdom come. What are we praying when we say that? Aren't we begging that Christ would appear? At least that's part of what it means, that Christ in all of His glory would return and set up that kingdom that He promised where righteousness reigns, where His glory is our immediate experience and delight. And again, when we say that we enjoy the glory of Christ, we're talking about the expression of all of His attributes. His holiness, His righteousness, His justice, His his grace, His mercy, His love, His kindness, His generosity. The expression of all of those attributes and then the experience of them perfectly in bodies that will be able to experience the glory of Christ and enjoy it perfectly. That's what we're talking about when we pray, Your kingdom come. So when you pray that, is that what comes to your mind? The appearing of Christ, do you pray that line with a full heart? Do you live and serve Christ with that longing in your heart? And I just want to say this morning that that I don't yet. I want to. Do you want to want to? That's kind of where I am. I want to want that as I ought. I fall so short of this. We must learn by God's grace to love and long for the appearing of Christ. In fact, 
Paul's logic bears out in this text that if we are going to preach the Word and proclaim the Gospel as we ought to, we will need to do it with a love and a longing for the appearing of Christ. So the main idea of this text again is preach the Word. Right? We've seen this back in verse 2. The Apostle Paul says, I charge you, preach the Word. And we've looked at those verses in detail. And we came down last week to these reasons, these final reasons that Paul gives Timothy to preach the Word. And he's given three of them. And the, num- the first one we looked at last week was a present motivation. You can follow with me in, in, in that half sheet of notes that I gave you in your bulletin. The present motivation is by the strength of Christ's grace, step into the place that has been left vacant by the departure of sacrificial preachers. And we remember we filled out the application of that last week to go beyond elders who preach the Word in a, in a public setting in the locally gathered church to believers who are given the great privilege of proclaiming the Gospel personally out in the community. There's application for all of us here. Preach the Word. Number two, Paul showed us last week a past motivation. The motivation for preaching the Word is this. Gospel proclamation is worth agonizing over. The Apostle Paul demonstrated that. Remember, he said, I have fought the good fight. In the proclamation of the Gospel, in the preaching of the Word, Paul fought the good fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. And by laying that upon Timothy's heart and our heart, Paul is impressing upon us the value of of the Gospel and His proclamation. And he's giving us a model to follow in the spiritual arena of struggle as we preach the Gospel and proclaim the Gospel. Because indeed, it will be a struggle. When you speak the truth in love, the world will hate that. But the value of the Gospel is undeniable. The value of its proclamation. It puts God's glory on display. It is God's chosen means by which sinners are rescued from His wrath. And it is the power of God to those who are being saved. Paul also laid this upon Timothy's heart and our heart because he wants to show us that since, since the preaching of the Word and the proclamation of the Gospel is an agony, a struggle, a conflict, then it is absolutely necessary to depend wholly upon the strength of Christ's grace. We have pointed back so often to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, where Paul says as he's continuing to lay out these exhortations for which Timothy was not sufficient, for which Paul was not sufficient in himself, for which we are not sufficient, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We must continually, in the seeking to fulfill these exhortations, look to Christ, the risen, ascended Lord, who has sent His Spirit to live in us, who then supplies to us all that we need through the Spirit to walk in His way as the body of Christ. So we preach the Word. Finally, finally, look at this last motivation that Paul gives Timothy. Every struggle, every conflict, every agony, every affliction, the Gospel proclamation will be worth it because of a future motivation. And this is verse 8. I'll read it to you again. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. This is another majestic text that calls us to be willing to lose our earthly lives for the sake of Christ and the Gospel. Because the gain of Christ's appearing will far outweigh the losses of earth. Dear ones, I am convinced that many of our immaturities in our struggles against sin, against worldliness, against temptation, against the evil one, and I'm convinced that many of our failures to live as hard-working, 
sacrificial servants of Christ devoted to His cause and His glory are due to the fact that we are, and I'm saying this of myself, I'm not, I'm not looking at you and, and not considering the log that is in my own eye, that we are infantile in our apprehension of the biblical truths about Christ's appearing. We're like babies with this. We don't even know what we're talking about most of the time when we talk about the appearing of Christ. And therefore, our mindset and focus is distracted from Christ's appearing to far lesser things. And therefore, we have a deficient anticipation in our hearts and love for Christ's appearing. If we have a believing heart full of glorious second coming truth, then we can't help but love and long for Christ's appearing. And Paul presses into the heart of Timothy the appearing of Christ as that motivation to preach the Word now. Timothy will preach the Word if he loves Christ's appearing. Timothy will preach the Word if he longs for Christ and His reward that will be revealed at His appearing. Why? Because we can say it this way, faith-filled Christ-exalting preaching or proclamation of the Gospel done in the strength of Christ's grace will receive a manifold glorious reward when Christ appears. Faith-filled. Faith dependent on Christ. Christ-exalting. Christ-loving proclamation of the Gospel done by Christ's grace will receive a manifold, glorious reward at the appearing of Christ. It seems to me that in verse 8, Paul is giving to Timothy very concisely some reasons to love the appearing of Christ. And therefore, reasons to preach the Word while expecting a thrilling, glorious reward at Christ's appearing. And the same is true of us. We will preach the Word and proclaim the Gospel if we love the appearing of Christ. So we need to love the appearing of Christ. We will preach the Word and proclaim the Gospel if we are filled with a loving, longing anticipation of Christ and the reward that He brings with Him. And that love for the appearing of Christ, notice, we'll see, look at this a little more detail in a few moments, but it's actually a fruit of saving faith. Because Paul brings that affection beyond himself to all believers. Not only to me, well, not only will Paul, he says, not only to me will this award be given, but all who love his appearing. That's a mark of true faith in Christ that will be present and growing in every believer. You know, we, we studied the, the letter of 1 John years ago, and we looked at some of those qualities, those marks of true faith. And this is part of that. Do we love the appearing of Christ? And it's that very affection that will gain the reward that Christ brings with Him. And that's why Paul chooses to close this section with verse 8. Therefore, the vital question that we need to ask ourselves as we look at this verse 8 is not only do we love the appearing of Christ, but how, why, why should I love this appearing? If we love this present world more than we love the appearing of Christ, then we really won't be passionate about preaching the Word or proclaiming the message that will deliver sinners from the world that is passing away. Remember 1 John 2, 15-17? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, what? The love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, it's of the world. And the world is what? Passing away along with its desires. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. What's going to happen to this world and all of its desires that pull so hardly on our affections now? What's going to happen to it? 
it's all going to pass away. And so we need to learn to long for and love that which will never pass away. Christ and His glory and the reward that He brings with Him. This is what, this is what happened to Demas, by the way. Look at verse 10. For Demas, what happened? In love with this present world, what did he do? Has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Remember, Paul's in prison. He's facing his martyrdom. And one of the things that's disturbing him that his heart is breaking over is those who are abandoning him and abandoning the faith and deserting Christ for the sake of the world. They'd rather not have persecution. They'd rather not suffer like Paul. They'd rather not have the affliction that comes with preaching the Gospel and proclaiming the Gospel. Why? Because they'd rather have this life and all of its comforts and all of its securities. And in the pressure, what will they do? Like Demas, in love with the present world, they will desert it. That's what happened to Demas. I don't want to be like Demas, do you? I don't want to be like that. So we must love the appearing of Christ. We must love the appearing of Christ and let the world go. Just like Luther said, let goods and kindred go, right? This mortal life also. The body, they may kill. God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. So then what does Paul say in this verse that can help us to love Christ's appearing? Why should we love the appearing of Christ? Four points from verse 8. First of all, letter A in your outline. Because the reward is laid up for us. That's one reason. The first reason to love the appearing of Christ. Paul says, henceforth. Interesting word. Could mean consequently. Right? Some sort of logical connection that because he has fought the good fight and finished the race and kept the faith, as a result, there is laid up for him a crown of righteousness. I think that has some of what's going on in that word, henceforth. Otherwise, it's certainly a measurement of time. In the future, what's coming is a reward. And he says, there, has laid, there is laid up for me. I can't, there's no, none of these words we can race through. This verse 8 is so packed. Laid up for me. What does that mean? Certainly reserved, awaiting one's arrival. You see, this, this is an assurance to you as a believer. There is laid up for you a great reward in the appearance of Christ. This assurance answers two questions that you have. Will the appearing of Christ and the reward that He brings with Him be everything that He says it is in His Word? Or will it be something else that I've lost and been disappointed by? This answers that. It's laid up for you. It's secure. It cannot be diminished. It cannot be lost. It will be everything that Christ says it, it will be. It will be everything you imagine it to be and far greater. Will the reward be safely kept? What's the answer? Yes, Paul says, it is laid up for me. And it also answers this question. Will God's grace preserve you for the receiving of that reward? Okay, the reward's there. Nothing can happen to the reward, but I'm not sure I'm going to make it all the way to get the reward. Well, Paul says, it is laid up for <clears throat> excuse me, me. It's, it's reserved for me by grace through faith. I will be there in Christ to receive it when Christ appears. Will, will I be safely kept for the reward? And I immediately think when I hear those words, I think of Christ's prayer. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Keep them from the evil one. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And what does the Father say to all the children of God? Or what does the Father say to Christ's prayers for the children of God? Yes, you will be kept. Let me show you a couple of additional verses about this. One, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. 
The Apostle Paul writes the Colossian church from house arrest in Rome. And he says, I, I think I'll just start in verse 3. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith and in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. We always thank God, verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You know, it's interesting, hope is used in the New Testament kind of like faith is. Faith can be subjective, meaning it's our trust. But faith can also be objective, meaning the truth, right? The object of our faith. Hope is the same way. Hope is our confident expectation in the promises of God to be fulfilled, but it's also the object of our hope that is coming, our reward, our inheritance, the full blessing of Christ toward us at His glorious appearing. The hope that we wait for is laid up for you in heaven. Now even more clearly does Peter write of this. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter spells out, in a sense, how this, this reward that Christ brings at His appearing, how this will be preserved and how we will be preserved to receive it. It is indeed laid up for us. This is, this is why we can love the appearing of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That is another way of talking about our resurrection from the dead someday, our complete transformation, and the receiving of the reward, the full inheritance that Christ will bring with Him for those who have been born again. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. We've been born again to a living hope. Synonyms now for the living hope. To an inheritance. Now the inheritance is described. It's an inheritance that is imperishable. Undefiled. Unfading. What? Kept in heaven for you. It's not going anywhere. It's reserved. It's protected. It's in a safety deposit box that nothing can penetrate. The full blessings of Christ at His appearance are kept safe for you. For who? Verse 5. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith for His salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. See, it's the, the inheritance is kept for you, and you are kept for the inheritance. You are being guarded. You're, you are being guarded as a child of God in Christ by what? You are being guarded by God's power. You ever wonder if you're going to fall away? You ever wonder if you're going to lose your faith in Christ? If you're not going to make it to the end to receive Christ's reward? Well, this text says if you are truly in Christ, that's impossible for you. You are being guarded by the power of God. And He guards you through faith by supplying and sustaining your faith all the way to the end. Your faith in Christ. And He will bring you all the way through for that salvation. This is talking about future salvation, which we call glorification, right? The complete transformation of spirit and body and the full reception of your inheritance, the new heavens and the new earth and all that come with it, with Christ being our treasure. You are being guarded through faith for that salvation, which is just waiting. It's ready to be revealed at the last time. And how do you feel about that? In this you rejoice. That's what the text says. Though now, so you need to long for the appearing of Christ if you're going to endure trials now. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are being grieved by various trials. And of course, those trials are used by God to test and purify your faith so that it does remain and is guarded and keeps you. So the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, 
may be found to result in something, in praise and glory and honor. When? The appearing of Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. This is the same affections that, Timothy, or that Paul is calling us to. You can't see Him. He's not appearing to you yet. He will. But though you do not see Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And what's the result of that? What's the result of that faith and that joy and that eager love and anticipation? The outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul, your glorification. Paul is saying the same thing. Turn back to 2 Timothy. Henceforth, there is laid up for you the reward. The reward will be kept for you, and you will be kept for the reward. Here are the assurances of your reward. You will be rewarded. Now, I want when we when we say that we word reward, we should not think of that word as earned by our own doing. Never think of it that way. Think of it this way: graciously given. And what part of this? has its source in us. We're going to talk about this more. You will be rewarded, not earned, but graciously given. You will be rewarded for persevering faith and repentance toward Christ alone, wrought by the gracious working of God in your heart. James 1.12 Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has stood the test, he will receive what? The crown of life which the Lord gives to those who love Him. Persevering faith, persevering repentance, wrought by the gracious working of God in your heart. That will be rewarded. You will be rewarded, not earned, but graciously given for every good work. Speaking for Christ, serving Christ, suffering for Christ. Every good work done in faith toward Christ, out of love for Christ, out of a desire for His glory, wrought by a gracious working of God in your heart. So many texts bear this out. For example, 1 Peter 5.4, when He appears, Peter says to those who have shepherded the flock of God, you will receive the crown of glory. You will be rewarded, not earned, but graciously given because of the fruit of spiritual life that God graciously wrought in your life. Persevering trust in Christ. Persevering repentance from sin. Persevering growth in Christ-likeness. Persevering suffering for Christ. Persevering service for Christ. And even in your grace, being graciously rewarded, you know what the ultimate reward is? Christ is glorified and enjoyed forever. Of Him, through Him, and to Him are what? All things. Romans 11.36 And you, by God's grace, will not lose that reward. It's God's doing from beginning to end. So do you love and long for His appearing for this reason? Because your reward is laid up for you? This is why we can and must love and long for His appearing. Why else should we love the appearing of Christ? Let her be, because the reward is righteousness. Look what else Paul says. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. A crown. What's this crown? The crown is the laurel wreath or garland which was given as a prize to the victor in public games, in the Olympic arena. It's used metaphorically here to depict the prize that will be graciously given by Christ to His servants at the end of their earthly contest for faithful perseverance and labors. But the crowns, I want us to be clear on this, the crowns that Christ will give His faithful ones are not a physical crown to wear in your head. The crown, the reward, is what the title says it is. So for example, in this case, the crown of righteousness is righteousness. The crown which is righteousness. And, and there are many different crowns referred to in the New Testament. For example, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do not receive a perishable wreath, but we, or they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Maybe we could say it this way. Persevering faith and repentance toward Christ in Paul's life, he confesses, will be rewarded with not being disqualified or receiving eternal life. Philippians 4.1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The same word, my crown. Other people can be a crown. Well, let's say it this way. Faithful witness for Christ is rewarded with the joy of seeing others stand blameless before the Lord on that day before His throne. That was, that was in Paul's mind a crown. Those whom he labored for to preach the Gospel, when they would stand there and he would see them before the throne of God, righteous and receive, that's a crown. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19-20 What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? Seeing the same thing. You are our glory and joy. James 1.12 Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Again, persevering faith and repentance toward Christ, even through great trial, as James puts in the context there. Great trial and suffering will be rewarded. Graciously given, not earned. Graciously given. What will be rewarded by? will be rewarded with the crown of eternal life. The crown that is eternal life. We referred to 1 Peter 5, 4 before. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Faithful shepherds will receive the crown of glory. Which most likely is being present for the expression of Christ's full glory and experiencing and rejoicing in that glory perfectly for all of eternity. Revelation 2.10 Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for ten days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. What's the crown there? Perseverance in faith and repentance toward Christ even through great suffering again will be rewarded with the crown which is eternal life. And now we come here to this text, 2 Timothy 4, 6-8 through and it's the crown of righteousness. It is the reward of righteousness. Righteousness itself is the reward. Well, what do we mean by the reward will be righteousness? I'm sure you're toying with that in your mind. What does that mean? What, what kind of righteousness will I get when Christ appears? Well, let's do a little bit of a, a theology here. You remember the definition of righteousness? Righteousness is perfect conformity to the law, the law of God. Are we righteous? We're not righteous. One deviation from the law of God makes us unrighteous, even though we have countless deviations from the law of God. We're not righteous by nature. We're not righteous by action. We have nothing close to perfect conformity to the law. Yet, we know this from the Gospel. Righteousness is absolutely necessary in order to be right with God and inherit eternal life. You must be righteous in order to live in the presence of God. How do we come by that righteousness? Only, only, only by a gracious gift from God through Jesus Christ. Only that. You can't earn it. You can't produce it. It must come from outside of you. From God's gracious gift through Christ. So think of it this way, in the past, in the past, every believer in Christ has been graciously given a position of righteousness. Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. 
That's a position of righteousness. In the past, God justified you, if you're in Christ, as He credited to you the obedience of Christ. He transferred, as it were, to your account the daily obedience of Christ as He lived on this earth. And God views you as if that is yours. He also credited to you the passive obedience of Christ. Christ on the cross bearing your guilt in His body and owning your punishment. You died with Christ. You're forgiven. Your forgiveness is one. So, God has credited to you the the obedience of Christ. And you received that righteousness how? Through the instrument of faith. Remember, faith is not a currency. You don't pay God for that righteousness by exerting up some faith. No, faith. Because it brings glory to God and God alone is the instrument by which you receive Christ's righteousness. Faith in Christ alone. By a gracious working of God. We know that even that faith is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Romans or Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So you were then declared righteous. Declared by God legally. Righteous. That's amazing. There's your first gift of righteousness by which you are able to stand before God. Christ's righteousness credited to you. But now in the present, there's the past, very believer, the past gift of righteousness. In the present, every justified believer in Christ is now being graciously given by God, from God, a, a practice of righteousness. A daily growing experience of righteousness. In the present, God is sanctifying you as He is imparting to you the likeness of Christ through the Holy Spirit. You experience a growing likeness to Christ through faith in Christ alone by a gracious working of the Holy Spirit in your new regenerated heart and nature. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And let me say it this way, whereas in justification you were declared righteous by a legal declaration of God, even though your experience was still entirely sinful, now, through sanctification, you are being proven as righteous. Sanctification proves that justification happened. If there's no sanctification happening, there's no justification that happened. You're being proven as righteous through sanctification. So in the past, God gave you the credit of Christ's righteousness to stand in a position of righteousness. In the present, He is actively imparting to you the likeness of Christ through the Holy Spirit in your new heart and nature. You're being proven as righteous. But then, in the future, there's another gift that's coming. Every justified believer in Christ who is being progressively sanctified will be graciously given, let's call it this, the perfection of righteousness. That's what's coming. That's the crown of righteousness. The perfection of righteousness. In the future, God will glorify you as He transforms you into the perfection of Christ, both in spirit and in body. By a powerful working of God on that day when you see Christ in all His glory. And listen to this. On that day, and there's so many implications to these things, and Lord willing, we'll get into them in the future. We've got so much we need to learn and be filled by to overflowing. On that day, your sanctification will be the proof that glorification will be and must be your reward. Sanctification before the, 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 the judgment seat of Christ, if you will. Your sanctification will prove that you were justified and will prove that glorification will be and must be your reward. All of it is a gift from God, though. All of it is a gift from God. So here's how we can state this in summary. The positional 
righteousness of justification is proven by the practice of righteousness and sanctification. And the practice of righteousness and sanctification will be the proof that you will be and must be given the reward of perfect righteousness and glorification. Perfect righteousness. Absolute perfection in both body and spirit. And that perfect righteousness is the crown of righteousness that will be rewarded to every justified and sanctified believer in Jesus Christ. What a magnificent gift of grace is coming. To have a spirit that is sinless, never to think a sinful thought, always to think the highest thought, the most holy things, to have all of the fruits of the Spirit in full love, joy, peace, and so on, to experience all of that. And a body that can sustain it. <laughs> I was just talking to one of my children this morning. We were talking about the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And I'm sure, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, can share this experience. Sometimes, I'm just imagining, okay, let's paint a picture that we've all experienced here. Darren is leading. The, the song, It Is Well With My Soul, is being sung. And, and there's like six verses, right? And in the original, right? You know what I'm saying? All these verses and each verse just builds and builds. And you're like, I have to sing somehow more. And you don't have anything left to give. Like, I need a glorified body to be able to let this out. You know what I'm saying? I need to sing. Something else has to happen in the final verse to, to let my heart soar higher. I don't, my wings cannot, my earthly physical wings of singing can't sustain this. I need a glorified body. When we have that perfectly righteous body, we're going to be able to sing like we've never experienced before. And will be blameless, perfect righteousness. But it gets even better as you think about the magnificent implications of this reward. What will this gift allow you to do and enjoy? And the Scripture tells us. We will then, here's the first part of this. When you have this gift, this crown of righteousness rewarded to you, you will then be able to freely stand before the Lord of glory, the glory of Christ on that day in a state that the Scriptures say call blamelessness. You, you, do you ever have a guilty conscience? Of course we do. You don't even see the glory of Christ here. And when you think about what's going on in your heart and the makes mistakes and sins and rebellions you've had in your life, you're like, how could I ever stand before God? It's only in Christ that any of us can even think about standing before God. But on that day, when you are given the gift of righteousness, the crown of righteousness, glorification, so that you are perfectly righteous in mind and body, your, your experience will totally catch up with your position of justification, you will be able to stand before the Lord of glory and be called blameless. Listen, Peter and Paul writes of this, the ability to stand blamelessly before Christ. Philippians 1, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's that day of Christ appearing. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and all discernment and that you may approve what is excellent. That's sanctification, right? That's a, that's a way of saying sanctification. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be what? Pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You hear what Paul is saying there? God, by His grace, is going to complete your saving work. You're going to move from justification through sanctification into glorification. And by the way, again, it's your, glor it's your sanctification that will prove your justification and unfold into your glorification. 
so that you can then stand pure and blameless and be filled with the fruit of righteousness on that day. Philippians 3, 7-12, Paul talked about it, and that's why he counted everything as lost for the sake of Christ. He counted everything, all of his good works, all of his earthly efforts at trying to save himself, pre-justification, right? All trying to save himself. He suffered the loss of it all and counted it as rubbish, refuse, in order that he could gain Christ. And here it is and be found in Him. That, that to me sounds like something in the future where on the day of the Lord, you are found in Christ. Not having a righteousness of your own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. And that's why He said, I want to know Him. I want to know the power of His resurrection, to share in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death that by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul is looking ahead to that glorification. He says, not that I've already attained that or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Colossians 1, 21-23, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. Why? in order to present you blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the Gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Again in that text, justification will yield sanctification, and sanctification will yield what? Glorification. Blameless. Drink in that word. He's going to present us holy and blameless before the eyes of God. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11-13 And now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound and love and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. That's sanctification, right? Abounding in love toward one another and for all as we do for you. And look at, again, the outcome of that. Verse 13, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Blameless. That's the crown of righteousness. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24. This brings so clearly into play the power of God to accomplish this. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept, what? Blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's the work of God for this. And then these verses that are so commonly given at the end of a service. Jude 24 and 25, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. That's sanctification. That's perseverance. To present you blameless before the presence. This is, this is mind-blowing. To present you blameless before the presence of His glory. And with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That is our hope. To stand before the holy omniscient gaze of God and experientially be blameless. That's what's coming. That's the gift. And then, there's another implication of this I've got to tell you. It'll be the ability, the ability to enjoy the glory of Christ. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood, these sinful mortal bodies cannot inherit, inherit the kingdom of God. It's interesting how the Scriptures totally 
flip our perspectives. It's like when we go through seasons of trouble, we think, man, I've got to hold on to this body. And the Scripture's like, if you have this body, you can't experience eternity. You're like, okay, I've got to be like a, basically, I've got to think about death like, like a caterpillar thinks about metamorphosis. I can't live in the presence of God in this body. I've got to get rid of it somehow. Isn't that a, that's a totally different perspective. God, change me. Behold, we, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment, a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised and perishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Then the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. Then to come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your sting? Your victory. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ in that new body, that immortal, imperishable body that you will get, you will be able to experience and enjoy fully and completely the glories of Christ in heaven. No other way. It's going to be good. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Is your citizenship in heaven? Are you anchoring your citizenship here in the United States of America? Where is your citizenship? Right? Again, perspective change. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. You've got to have a body like Christ and sustain the glory of Christ and enjoy it fully. But you will. You will. That's what's coming. Second Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10. I'll just read some of the verses there. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10. You can read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 another time. There's so many texts I have here this morning. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. That is Christ in all His glory. Suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And what will be our experience on that day? <coughs> Verse 10, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Christ will be glorified in us and we will marvel at it. We'll have the ability to enjoy that perfectly. Write down 1 Peter 3, 12-13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. 1 John 3, 1-3. The love of God for us. Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared because we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. That is a reason to love His appearing. We'll be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And then, like we read last time as well, last implication, it was just that we will be able to Stand blameless. Be presented blameless before the presence of His glory. But there will be also with that presentation 
not fear, but with great joy. Jude 24 and 25. This is the nature of the reward that's coming. And I, words fail. We could talk about this forever, and we will. Perfect righteousness in spirit and body, which will enable you to stand blameless before His glory and enjoy fully His glory. That's what's coming. The crown of righteousness. So do you love and long for the appearing of Christ for these reasons? Wow. We've just begun to talk about these things together. I have to tell you this stuff in the days to come. We have to focus on this. We have to think about this and live in it. This is why we can and must love and long for the appearing of Christ. But we'll pick up here in two weeks. Next week I have something else prepared. Unless you want to be here for another hour. I'm game. You are. No, we'll wait. We'll pick it up in two weeks because I want to tell you what joy we can have in considering that Christ will give the reward which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Wow. And then that final section that says affection for Christ appearing, love for Christ appearing gains that reward. Dear ones, let's love the appearing of Christ by the Spirit of God within us. Let's preach the Word and proclaim the Gospel. And before we pray and share at the Lord's table this morning, I want to address you who may be here this morning or listening even online and you don't know Christ as this Savior who, will, who has given you His righteousness. I want to draw your attention to a verse we read earlier. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5-10. And the verse 8 says that the Lord Jesus, when He comes and is revealed, will be coming from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting His vengeance, His just punishment, His wrath that is due to sin, our sin. He will do that for those who listen to this description. For those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. Think about that description. When Christ appears, those who do not know God as He is, those who do not obey the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will be objects of Christ's just judgment and eternal wrath. Is that you? Think about that. Is that you? Have you been someone who does not care to know God, does not care to Obey the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, say, what does it mean to obey the Gospel? Well, the commands of the Gospel are two. Repent and believe. It means turning from sin. Turning away from the very thing that's killing you. From the very thing that, that is the cause for Christ's judgment over you. Turning away from sin. Yes, it's pleasurable for a season. But it's a very short season. And when that short season of time is over, Christ will appear and He being the good and righteous judge that He is, He will give you justice. I don't want that for you. Christ died to invite you, to command you to come out of your sin and to follow Him. Obey the Gospel. The Gospel says, that because Christ lived and died and rose and ascended as returning to make sinners like us righteous, turn from sin. Grieve over your sin. You don't have to, you cannot clean your life up before you come to Christ for salvation, but as you come, you can be willing to let go of any sin that He would touch in your life and say, This has to go. Are you willing? You can be willing, you can grieve it. Because you have offended God, who is your loving Creator. And, and, and the other command of the Gospel is to trust. Trust in Christ alone. Don't trust yourself. Don't, don't and at, try to add to God's salvation in your life. Just trust what Christ has done for you. Christ's life 
is your righteousness. His death is your forgiveness, your atonement. His resurrection is your life eternal. All you need is Christ. The Son of God, the eternal God, took on human nature, became man, and accomplished all the work necessary to make sinners like us righteous. Trust Him. Trust Him to do it. Like like you would put your life in the hands of, of Him who died for you. And He will bring you safely home. And if you will trust Him, turning from sin, turning from self-righteousness, when He appears, He will complete your salvation. And you will stand blameless before the glory of God with all who have loved His appearing. That's my invitation to you. That's my command to you. If that has not been your experience yet, today is the day of salvation. Do not turn away from the call of the Gospel. Obey it for the sake of Christ. Submit to His authority. And you will eternally be grateful. Let's all stand together and we'll pray. Father, we come to You and we're so grateful for these texts and we want to learn all we can learn about the appearing of Christ. Please teach us more. Let our hearts be teachable and open. Fill us with joy. Take our affections away from the things of this earth. Let them grow strangely dim to the desires of our hearts and let us set our affection on things above. Work in us even now more to that end even as we share at the Lord's table. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our precious Savior, Mediator, Lord, and King. Amen.